Um, yeah, it is a treat for me to be here. Um, there's nothing I would rather do than be with you right now. And I mean that with all sincerity. I was a college student. I was very lost. And uh, I didn't have a campus ministry come looking for me. Uh, God kind of found me, but I did find life in a campus ministry. It was a little Church of Christ student Bible center at Southeastern Oklahoma State University in Durant. And that's where I got my, my start. Uh, I wasn't, my mom was a Christian, and uh, but she died when I was young, and so my dad was not. So that kind of all went away. In a sense, I had enough uh, knowledge to be dangerous and not enough to be in any way safe. And I, like so many college students, I lost my faith. I was a chemistry major. I got a degree in science and got a master's in behavioral studies. and. Uh, I was also abused from the time I was very young, um, which was the big secret inside of me uh, that, um, that tormented me. On the outside, I, I was pretty cleaned up and could be pretty impressive to people and look like I had it together, uh, and I didn't at all. Uh, I was desperate. My sophomore year, I fell into depression, which I had dealt with off and on since I was little. I didn't understand any of that. This was kind of before a lot of, uh, of that kind of came to light, and mental health was recognized, and you know, people talked about it. You didn't talk about it in the world I grew up in. It was a very different world. And with college in 1970, uh, it, was, it was a tumultuous time politically and socially just like today. The Vietnam War was going on, the Watergate, Richard Nixon, all that stuff was going on, the civil rights movement was going on, so race was really in the, in the, in the forefront, and there's just a lot of tumult in the world that, that I was in. So it's, I, I really identify with a lot of you in some sense because I know what that does to your inner person. And, and you guys are obviously Christians. So I also, and some of you may not have been for very long, you know what it's doing in the hearts of people that don't know Christ. Because there is no security. And so uh, I, I have a passion for campus ministry first because that's how God found me and that's how he saved me. It was messy. I can't tell you my search was some great academic search of somebody that had figured it out. It was very much like most people. It's, it was a stumbling. It was a desperation. It was a looking. It was God putting people in place and me reacting to what God did. Uh, you may have heard some of them use the expression God deal. It's not used as much anymore. Uh, but that is an expression that I planted in the church because I figured that out a long time ago. And so what you guys are doing in focus is, is very much something that I did pray for. Uh, we need 10 or 20 more ministries like this on these campuses right here. Uh, because uh, campus ministry is very relational. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need lots of boots on the ground and lots of people because um, that's just the opportunity. I believe that the most open door uh, 
opportunity-wise in our, in our world today is the campus. And I believe it is that way. And it makes me really sad that churches are notoriously short-sighted. <laughs> Strategically, it couldn't be more important. But you guys don't give a lot of money. You know, that's why we have churches meeting in old, old folks' uh, rec centers and, and places because you don't give a lot of money. But I'll tell you, that's okay. Because what you do give is priceless. Uh, we, we couldn't put together a church like this if we went and recruited it. And a lot of people look and see it somehow as deficient. I look at it and see it as a God deal. This is what God wants. God puts the parts in the body as he wills. And our churches, if, I'm sure some of you don't go to Denton North, but we plant churches in conjunction with campus ministry. And the reason was is because the churches that I had to work my way through, and I became a campus pastor, and I went to Colorado and got out of the Bible Belt and was a campus pastor, worked my way out of hard fundamentalist Christianity, but I saw that the campus ministry could not thrive in mainline churches. They weren't built for it. Uh, it's like trying to, to, to turn an old folks home into a nursery and running a bunch of two-year-olds in there. It's dangerous <laughs> for them. We need old folks homes. We need churches with older people in it. I'm not really casting an aspersion at all Although we need those churches to start churches that will accommodate you and the people that you bring in that may not act right, that may not say the right things. Uh, it took a while to get our church there when we started Northeast in 1997, and um, lots of people had to come and go because, you know, uh, the second, the, the most open door, but it's not the most easiest to get to are people like you that aren't in college. Mm -hmm. The post-college group, they're spread all over the world in all the restaurants and the oil change places and the grocery stores and you name it. They're all over the place, but they're just in onesies and twosies and mm -hmm. a few people and they are most susceptible and they're most open to what you guys have. Wow. That's why we've started a ministry that I am driving called Track, which is to do with the non-college young adults, what we did with Focus, and to build a ministry that's for them, a place they can come, it's their place, they don't have to feel deficient because they're not a college student, they don't have to have people say, well, what do you do you do? Well, I didn't go to college. I've already heard that at every family reunion. Why don't you go to college? Why don't you go to college? Because they want to. You know, it's expensive, they don't want to. And that's perfectly okay. <laughs> But that's, a, that's another story, but I throw that in there because this is what vision is all about. This didn't happen easily. Mm -hmm. It was very costly. Mm -hmm. And just like I look at my own life and I realize that there were people that literally martyred themselves so we could talk about this and know about this. Literally, men and women lost their lives for this. Mm -hmm. and. You can't possibly know that in your lifetime, there are people that have made a lot of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. there, there are people that have given up everything so that you guys can do what you're doing and experience what you experience. And knowing that you're not going to get it for a lot of years. When Jesus asked the apostles, do you understand what I've done for you? And the answer 
was clearly a resounding absolutely not. <laughs> and it's just like with our parents and the sacrifices they make for us. And, and you will see that early on when you get married or you are, are doing your job and you're helping people. But I just think particularly since we just had a set of preemie twins and my second son now has four little kids in diapers, that when you're, you have that and you get up in the middle of the night and you're exhausted and you're rushing around trying to change their doctor and feed them and they're looking right at you screaming <laughs> as loudly as they can. No, they don't get what you've done for them and they just aren't capable of even caring at that moment about that. But the day comes hopefully you realize you know, that if you were one of those kids that were a preemie and somebody had to sit next to an incubator and cry over you and pray over you, how many people uh, were involved with that? Uh, you know, I, I see my sweet little Kiana here. Kiana's got a history with our church in Garland with us, and uh, she still has no idea how many people have prayed for her, how many people really looked to her and looked out for her. Now, I'm saying a whole lot just to say that's why I'm here today and that's why we're talking about health spiritual conversations. Because there's a whole lot of me out there and there's a whole lot of yous out there that they're open. I believe that everybody is open. They're just not open to you. They're not open to me. Not yet. But in the right situation, the most hardened person really wants to have a conversation about God. They want to have a deeper conversation. They don't trust anybody, and for good reason. You know what I'm saying? You're going to open up your whole life to a stranger? I, that's pretty scary. Um, but we get to be those people. There are, two, there are two important parables about Christian mission that have a lot to do with this. We're really talking about having the conversations, but it really starts with inviting. And... and one of them is this uh, is in Luke 14, and it's this whole chapter that is about inviting, and it talks about this wedding banquet uh, that someone had and sent out their servants uh, to go get people to come, and people made excuses. Uh, you guys will recognize this if you haven't already engaged in inviting people. People make excuses. The sad part of this story is the same thing you're going to encounter. A lot of people that you're inviting are supposed to be Christians. They're supposed to be people inviting too. But they don't look like Christian and they don't act like Christian. And you know, and you may have been there. I certainly was there when I started in college. I would have told you I was a Christian. I got baptized when I was nine. I was, but I didn't know Christ at all. The church I was a part of didn't even teach a personal relationship with Christ. It was, you know, more orthodox in the sense that you just kind of did the routines that you were in. So uh, that's who you're going to be encountering a lot. Others, not so much. But the, but the parable really is about the nation of Israel and how they have been invited to this banquet of God, which is really the kingdom itself. It's coming into God's deal, being one of God's people, and, and sending out the servants to, to invite people to come. And you say, well, why was he even inviting people? Well, that's about who the master of the banquet is. The other is about 
a, 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 just a big banquet that's being thrown. But in both stories, we have these three categories. We have the master, the owner, and then we have the servants who aren't even getting paid, by the way, beyond being taken care of. They, they didn't work for a salary like we do. Uh, and probably 25 to 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. They were owned by someone else called servants, but they were owned by someone else. And that was just like we accept our society where we go, we're employees of someone else and they can hire and fire us at their discretion and make us do crappy stuff and tell us to shut up. Uh, but um, we accept that as just kind of the way it is. And, and because that's just the way it is. And you've got to decide what do you want to try to change. But we've got this category of people and then we have the people that are being invited. And for us, probably a better parallel would be a modern business. You, you've got owners, it's like Walmart, and it, you know, it's, it's a, a family that owns it. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's even traded. I think it's still just owned by the Waltons. But it, whatever, there's owners in corporate America, so the shareholders. Uh, and then you have the employees but you even have tiers of employees. A manager or a regional manager is going to feel more ownership than a new hire that's making minimum wage, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got the employees and then you have customers. Now the sad part of when you look at the kingdom, you, you don't have that. You've got two, two. You've got owners and you've got potential owners. Because we're not out trying to sell a product. We're trying to sell people on God and coming to be a part of God's kingdom to become an owner. But too many of us as Christians, for goodness sakes, we, we treat church and the kingdom things as if we're customers. Mm -hmm. We shop churches like it's a grocery store. You better treat me good. I'm not here to work. I have no responsibilities. I'm here to enjoy myself and sit here. The rest of you workers take care of me. And if we don't like it, well, I didn't like that church. They didn't treat me good. Well, how'd you treat them? Maybe they didn't like you. Maybe you were less friendly than they were. Who are you? Think you're God? You know, he even tells a story about people coming to this dinner and people taking the more important seats. And he says, don't do that. You go take the other seat, or else the owner may come and say, hey, why don't you go sit in the floor over here, and let's, let's let somebody else sit there. That looks more comfortable. You're going, well, that's embarrassing. That's what he's saying. And, and trying to grasp what's going on here. But guys, we, we are not employees in the kingdom. We're owners. We're sons and daughters. This is our house. This is my church. This is my gospel. Mm -hmm. This is my story. It's a gift of God. People say, what authority do you have to do this? Well, the owner of the universe told me to go do it. So if you don't like it, well, you just better get over it. You can take it up with him. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go make disciples. 
Pretty, pretty emphatic. The question you have to first ask yourself, what are you at like? Where are you in kind of grasping what's going on here? Are you a son or daughter that's grasped the magnitude of your inheritance? That would be just like being a Walton. Being heirs to the, you know, the Walmart and Sam's fortune. Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians that the eyes of their heart would be opened. That they would, among other things, understand the riches of their inheritance in Christ. That we're co-heirs. And, and when you really understand the investment, you understand the real feast is in the investment. It's like me, I get to come up here, I've been doing this a long time, um, and, and I love what I do. This is all I do. Uh, my wife and I could be wealthy. I'll just tell you that. She inherited quite a bit of money, and we have invested it all in getting our family where we are and getting this church where it is. And I will work until the day I die. Now, is it worth it? I mean, I can just look at a few people. I can look back, back there and see Ryan, and I, I love Ryan, and I know Ryan loves me, and we're friends, and, and Grant's out there in his office, and <laughs> I love Grant. I know Grant. I know Grant real well. Shayla. I can look around. Becca, Drew, Darby, you know. I can just come down to Kiana. Well, Hayden here is one of my new buddies that became a Christian in our team ministry in Garland. Amen. Um, I get to be friends with people like you. I look at old people my age and the crap that they're doing. You're going to play golf every day? That's your deal? <laughs> That's your joy? <laughs> You're just going to get older and sorrier. <laughs> and, frustrated. And, and you think you've got something good going? I had breakfast with my little buddy Colton running just yesterday morning because he wanted to meet with me. And I'm thinking, I, I'd like to be with some old people and talk about prostate disease. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give me a break. I'd rather talk about girls and life and jobs and future. <laughs> I reach out to people. You know? I, I, I get to have the conversations I wish somebody had had with me. Yeah. Just talk to me about stuff. So we were talking in there just about having people that that you could talk to. I was sexually abused from the time I was five. And that was a pretty regular thing in my world. After mom died, I got to have to couldn't leave my sisters alone with my dad unless he raped them. Now, grow up normal, with any normalcy in that world. I was the youngest of eight kids. We were all victims. My dad was a victim for crying out loud, and I've reconciled all of that. But when I started to church, my biggest problem was not how to be saved, it was how to be saved. It was how to be safe. Mm -hmm. You know, I had enough sense and I was smart enough to know that I was messed up. You know, my connections were all messed up. And yet, who you talk to in the dorm about that? Mm -hmm. What buddy are you going to talk to? They're as screwed up as you are. And I figured that out real fast. There wasn't anybody. I had to initiate conversations and ask, is masturbation wrong? Are these 
porn magazines I'm buying down here every Friday night and masturbating two or three times overnight, is that wrong? Is that okay? That was before the internet. It was just nobody to talk to. Well, as I progressed, a lot of the things that we do differently, and me just talking frankly to you like that is part of it. We're doctors, and you need to be able to talk about it. You want to be the person that has a life that says, you can talk to me about anything. What's your crap? What do you got? I'm not going to judge you. I got people, if I don't understand, I know people that do. I can get some people to help me talk about it. And, and so that's why spiritual conversations are so important. I really became one of those people, the first I knew, that people would say to me with regularity, you're the first person I've ever told this to. You know that you've become a real owner when people can say that to yeah. you. There's no greater honor than somebody to tell you their daddy raped them. You know? There, it's just, you know, I was telling them in there, I had a, a young man who's 21 years old, and he was real jittery and nervous, and I noticed that some, and I built a relationship with him, and he came in one day, and he said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what is that? And he hum-hawed around for a long time, and he had a real crooked penis when he got an erection. Now, he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to get married and have sex. He was 21. Who does, a, who does a dude talk to about that stuff? Mm -hmm. And not just feel absolutely humiliated. Mm -hmm. But you just live in this fear. He had lived with this his whole post-puberty life. See, I want to be that person. What do you got? Because everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. They have secrets. they got crap. And that's where the demons work. Oh, you could never do that because remember that time? Remember what you struggle with? Remember what you look at? Remember what you're tempted by? You're not good enough. He's the accuser. And you want to be the person that can be the person of God. That's why we agree with our adversary quickly. When Satan tells me, you're sorry, you don't, you're not worthy of this, I say, boy, you got that right. And, and what else you got? I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because God is good. So you can just move on down the road. Yeah. You know, that's who we are. And we're setting people free, the captives free, and the kingdom we're inviting people to is a kingdom that frees people. You don't feel guilty anymore. Nobody's going to judge you around here. I've been working with a young transgender guy, girl to girl, uh, named Angie, and Angie came to our church. It's the first transgender person I've ever worked personally with. And when Kale is our, our outreach minister, but he kind of got sucked out of way to Houston, and he asked me if I would spend time with Angie because he had just started. And I said, I would really look forward to the opportunity. Angie's 32. I'm not telling any secrets here uh, and won't. But nonetheless, you know, to hear the story, Angie never really had a dad. And Angie was a little bit effeminate, so her dad would often call her the little bitch. That's a good start, you know what I'm saying? And then abandon them. You know, who, who, who hears that? Who listens? Who appropriates the grace of God? Well, who, who, who moves in to become a father figure to those people? Now, that's what God orchestrates, though. He orchestrated this person who had huge problems never having had a dad 
to be sitting in the car with a consummate dad. I mean that. I love my kids. And people that know me know I do. And my grandkids. But I love you. I'll become your dad. You know, Hayden already calls me a spiritual dad. I, I'm so honored with that. And I look at you guys as my kids. Um, but that's what God does. And, and when I talked to Angie about treatment, I said, you know, if you want to practice transgenderism and live your life this way, our church is probably not going to be the best place for you. Because that's just not where we are as a fellowship. But I can promise you one thing. In any of our churches or focus, you will never be mistreated. Yeah. And if anybody so much as hints at mistreating you, it's not going to go good for them very long. Because we won't put up with that. And Angie just said, I've never been treated this good in my life. Wow. And that's when I started spending time with her. That's who we are. That's what we're inviting people into. I can invite people into something. I can invite them to focus in, in Denton. I, I can be thrilled because I know that if they really want people in their life, they, they've got people. They've got people that will look out for them. They've got people that will talk to them about anything and be, be good to them. I had a man called me a number of years ago off the internet, and he said, I have one question for you. I mean, he told me his name, asked me my name, and that's how he started. Uh, I said, what's that? He said, if I bring my homeless ex-con friend to your church Sunday, how will he be treated? His sister-in-law who went to another church had told him, don't bring that kind of people to our church. I said, I can confidently tell you he will be treated royally at our church. You know, that's what we invite people to. And can, can we predict that everybody's going to act right? No, we can't. In fact, we can predict that not everybody will act right. It won't last very long. If anyone you, if any one of you mistreats somebody, it wouldn't take any of your leaders very long to say, what, what did you do? What did, now what did, how did you think that was a good idea? How do you think Jesus would have wanted you to handle that? What do you think you should go do now? Like apologize on your hands and knees, maybe? We don't do that. We correct and rebuke and love. We're just helping each other get better. But guys, we're building something incredible. Yeah. Now we don't just do church. I've just got to make a you know, a qualification here. I don't do mainstream Christianity. Uh, God works through it. He does lots of good stuff, just like He worked through Israel in these stories. But the bad people were the Jews. They had not done what God wanted them to do. They weren't acting like servants. They were acting like customers. And God forbid that that's you coming to focus saying, well, did I, do? I don't like the music. I like something Francis Chan said. He told a lady one time who came out and said, I didn't like worship very much today. And he said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. You know, we're not here to entertain. We're not going to have smoke machines. And we're going to put decent people up leading and speaking. But we're going to put up sincere people. People that love God. 
because out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water, not just beautiful music. Um, mm -hmm. So with that said, how do we go from being customers through being servants or employees to becoming owners? Well, it comes down to taking ownership. The first semester of the apprenticeship, the sermon that they do at the end of the first semester, the apprentices all have to do a sermon called, This is My Gospel. They have to take this principle, this beautiful gospel, and say, what is my story in regard to this up to now? Just getting started. You're just writing the first lines, you know? But that's good. That's how you start a song. Every poem, you start somewhere with an idea. You know? God's already been good to you. Even if you don't know Him, He's already been good to you. Every good gift comes from God. And God will always give you enough. And everybody's invited to this banquet. Whether you ever hear the invitation or not, you got invited. And, and that's God. He stands at the door and knocks. But, you know, how do we get there? That we, you're going to become this owner in this kingdom and say, this is my gospel. This is my kingdom. Well, for me, I just take a lot of joy in knowing what I said earlier, that we've got churches and ministries. But if there's, if there's a student on one of these campuses up here that really needs somebody to talk to. If they'll halfway look, there's somebody God can put them in touch with. Just like I told Angie, you think it's an accident you're sitting in the car with a consummate death. See, what you've been through, that's what the world did to you. This is what God does. This is what God does. Now, the problem you guys are going to have with college students are real short-sighted. They're young. <laughs> we do teen ministry very zealously, and I'm involved with that and, and spend a lot of time with it and believe in it. We're, we're involved in kids' ministry. We have a build-from-the-ground-up mentality, and, and part of our strategy was if you do this long enough, you'll have a bunch of babies. And in Garland right now, we have 15 to 20 babies in our nursery every week. And those are first births, uh, and we've got a lot of people now that are queuing up for number two. And so, you know, that's what happens. But, but strategically, now all these, you know, 40-year-old ex-focus grads are raising their kids together. And saying, well, one of them said, well, somebody asked him about Jan Camp. He said, oh, that's where a lot of us focus grads go for a, a few days of vacation and watch our kids grow Amazing. and hang out with our buddies because that's what they do that's the strategy so here's the deal what are we going to do well you've got to orient yourself to the mission there's a banquet there's a dinner we're owners and our dad has said now i want you to go invite people so that my house can be full now we're not just we're just not just trying to see how how many people we can get now god is into numbers he was like, well, he's not number conscious. Yeah, he is. We have a book in our Bible now. <laughs> you know, yeah, he wants us to win as many as possible. But we're not into numbers to the sacrifice of quality. We're going to help as many as we can. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, but you've got to orient to yourself. Are you an owner? Do you own the mission? And do you understand that the gospel isn't just the gospel? It's yours. 
If you've come to Christ, it is your gospel. And what does that look like? How did you come to Christ? What has God done in your life? Was it godly parents that really raised you and taught you? You know, he, he's used a lot of ways to do that. And if you think, well, I didn't, I didn't get the, the cush life. Let me tell you what, a cush life is a curse. I learned a long time ago that my greatest blessings were being sexually abused from the time I was five. Because when somebody comes to me and with that kind of desolation, Angie, I can look and say, I get it. I understand. I don't, you don't have to explain it to me. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to not want to be alive. I know what it's like to hide. I know all of that. That's what the world does. But here's what God does. And he will always mitigate it, and then he will turn your greatest pains into your greatest strengths. You know, I, everybody that's depressed and want to blow their head off, they get sent to me. Mm. I've written a book on depression. Mm. And I, I just mean that. It's like, because I can say, I understand. And you say, a 71-year-old pastor? You under, yeah, I do. I absolutely, and I still feel that way sometimes. But I don't, my feelings don't define me. My faith does, and so I go back to that. But God. And so you've got to really decide to orient yourself to who we are, whose we are, and what we're doing, the overarching thing we're doing. All of your degrees are important. All of the things we do. God wants you out there on a landscape. He wants your life in the home, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in your, in your extended family, in your friend circles, in your churches, in your small groups. He wants you to be alive. And what's that? A lot of how good you are? We've had this thing where we go out and we live our life and people just see how good we are and they come and say, oh, you're so good, I'd like to be like you. I've never heard of that happening. And if they, they are, it's one Pharisee wannabe chasing down a Pharisee. No. It's people that proclaim the goodness of God in their life. I'm here because God is good. There's a place for you at the table right now. In fact, we give greater honor to the weaker parts of the body. Mm -hmm. We're going to move those people to the front because they need the best seat. I went into our auditorium and there was a guy named Brad who has cerebral palsy and he's on the back and he's in his wheelchair. And, you know, he was treated real good by people. But they just didn't think about the fact that he's sitting right there on the aisle and then everybody said, let's stand up and worship. And everybody stands up and he sees a wall of backs. Can't see the screen. I went in and saw that. I say, yo, get him. And we moved him around in during church. And I moved him out, moved chairs out, and set him right in front of the screen. See, that's what we're going to do. And that's what God does. And, and you'll see that. People that need the most will get the most. Notice people. You know, one of the greatest ways to have a spiritual conversation is to just notice people. The sweetest word anybody ever hears is their own name. Because they're recognized. They're somebody. They're not just a number. It's, that's why in my sermons and lessons I call names. I just call people's names. I've had so many people come up and say, I'm just pretty amazed that the senior pastor knows so many people and calls them by name in the service and makes fun of them and they seem okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, that's what dads do. 
there's a lot of guardians. I became a father too. And so I play with them. It's like they're my own kids. If I mess up, I'll apologize. Okay? You know, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to have fun. We're going to be family. That's what we're going to do. Um, but you just observe people. Watch people. Notice them. So you call them by name. You know. I say, hey, what are you doing in your show there? What? What is that? What's one live weekend? You know what I'm saying? It's just, you just notice people. Often they'll say, I don't even know, you know, why they goodwill. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if I say, I notice you wear sports clothes, do you work out? And instead they say, yeah, we say, well, I work out too. Or you can say, oh, really? Have you, have you done that a long time? Do you know a lot? Maybe I can learn something from you. Where do you work out? What do you do? Take an interest in people. You know? And, and then as you observe people and notice people, you, you watch their faces, guys. These are humans. Say, so I may be wrong about this, Karen. Well, I go when I mention God. You kind of look like you winced or something. You didn't. He's giving an example. <laughs> but I am watching you because you did try to go to sleep on me. <laughs> no, I'm being in character here. If I, I have to use your name because I only know about four names in here, so you have no trouble. <laughs> you know, if you just notice that somebody wins or they kind of look down, and you say, you got something going on there? And then if they say yes, you'll say, oh, I've got something more we're not rattlesnakes. You know, we're not coiled, ready for somebody to mention some for us to jump on. We're just calm. So I don't really sorry that happened to you. You know, if you want to talk about that sometime, I'd be glad to. Would you like to talk about it right now? But if they don't, write their name down and then go back later. So I've been thinking about what you said. I, I've not been able to get that off my mind. As a Christian, it really bothers me when I hear people have gone through something that they felt mistreated by the church. You know, if you learn something, get somebody's name. Gosh, I write names on my, you know, my notepad. I give them to people. I was asking Cole and I met at Country Club Cafe, and I invited a kid named Cyrus to come to focus, and I hooked him up with Cole. I said, Cole, how is Cyrus doing? And he said, well, oh, you know, he, I called him a couple times we hadn't been this summer. And I said, why not? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> who, who, who is responsible for knowing him? Christian? he knew what I was doing with that. I said, don't drop the ball on people. You know, uh, I met Cyrus at that cafe. And he doesn't work there anymore. But, you know, you, you, you ask questions. And I noticed that day Cyrus, just a waiter, and I noticed he came over, and I don't know, sometimes I feel like the spirit pings us and just kind of makes us look at people. And I always try to use waiters and waitresses' first names, and mm -hmm. you know, they're humans, they're doing their job, and I'll treat them like they're bond servants to me personally. You know, they're just doing their job like I'm doing mine, and I want to make their job as easy as possible and respect them for it, because I don't want their job. Some of you probably do that, and you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But you know, maybe you want that to be your job for a lot. Good. 
because I don't want to do your job. So hope you keep doing it. Um, so you observe people and you, you just, if, if, I, if I leave you with one thing about spiritual conversations, write this down. Make an observation and ask a question. It is the most powerful leadership tool there is. You want to do supervision? You make an observation. The observation can be debated. If I say, Drew, you didn't look like you were kind of into what we were doing today, which he really doesn't. He's back there kind of texting. <laughs> you know, did, did I misjudge that or is there something going on? And then if they say, or I could say, you aren't listening today, you need to listen better. And he says, well, I just got a text, my mom died. Now, would I rather have asked, is there something going on, and let him tell me he just got this awful news, or this thing is going on, then I can minister, oh my gosh, Drew, I'm so sorry. Why didn't you just tell us there? You, you just need to kind of sneak out here, you need to take a break, and you can get out of here. You know, make an observation. And then they can correct you if your observation is wrong. Because mm -hmm. I will tell you so many times our first observation is wrong. Mm -hmm. The people you think aren't interested, you're, you're reading it in your way. That look, that frown, probably has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with them. And there's a reason. Why would people not trust preachers sometimes? Well, duh. <laughs> I could probably name five to ten people that were sexually abused by ministers. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to assume everybody ought to respect me because I'm Pastor Ronnie. Well, that's just BS. <laughs> that's not. That's been, you know, misused. One of the things that we force on the apprentices every year is reading Elmer Gantry. Elmer Gantry is a American classic about a very hypocritical evangelical preacher. And uh, Sinclair Lewis was a cynic and a skeptic, but we want him to cut into them for you to see what hypocrisy really looks like and how there's a little bit of that in all of us. Mm -hmm. When I try to do good, evil is right by my side, as Paul said. So notice people, observe people, study people, become a student of people. That's what we do. We do people, right? I mean, that's what we do. So you can do that wherever you are. I was talking to Hannah Mason yesterday, and she said she's teaching special ed, and she said, I get a lot of credit for your axioms. <laughs> and she just say these axioms we use, and for some of them probably aren't even mine. I don't claim any originality or anything. Some of them are Jesus. People think I made something up, and I quoted a verse. But, uh, <laughs> But I said, yeah, a lot of those axioms were, were made in reaching out to people outside the church, ways to talk to people that don't know Jesus and not sound so churchy with scripture. You know, building from the ground up, from the inside out, we don't do normal. You know, those things, a lot of them I used to raise my kids. They're, they're, they're principles that we try to summarize a lot of stuff in, but you just kind of study people. And if you do, then you can use these things in ways and you'll look a whole lot smarter than you are. But in the end, 
and I did management consulting. I also had an MBA and I did management consulting and trying to get my kids through college without debt and do ministry. For 20, over 20 years I did that and I worked with all kinds of, of companies uh, around uh, North Texas and also in Southern Oklahoma my last uh, six years was working, consulting with Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. But, <clears throat> so yeah, study people. But so many times, I could tell who the sheep were, by the way. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. You know, I could paraphrase a verse that Jesus said and he would be taken out its board. And if I quoted Jesus and paraphrased it, the sheep would all look up. They knew, <laughs> they knew where that came from, which was great. That's what God does. It's like they knew. They knew, and I knew they knew when they looked up at me because they, they, they recognized that voice so to speak. Um, so you make observations, ask questions. And that's the way you meet people and that's the way you get in spiritual conversations. Where did you first learn about God? What's, the, what's your biggest insight into God or spiritual things? Or Listen, you don't have to be ready to convince somebody of the pounds. People don't care how much you know until they know you care. And if you just kind of listen, you ask enough questions, they'll turn it on you. So, well, what do you believe? And then again, you're not a rattlesnake. Don't pounce. Don't strike. You know, you've got to learn to speak with your whole body. You know, so that, you know, when somebody says, well, what do you think? I say, well, I think rattlesnake. If somebody, what do you think, Rob? You know, so well, that's a really good question. <laughs> you know, that's a deep question. You compliment them. You affirm them for this conversation. You'll get insecure. There's a lot of people don't believe in God. There's days I don't believe in God very much. Do you have a problem with that ever? Some days I wonder. I wonder about my faith. I wonder about my salvation. You know. <laughs> I wonder about my wife. I wonder about my kids. I wonder about our churches. That's just to be human. So, you know, you just kind of sit back and listen to people. When you ask a question, if I ask you a question, you know, and I say, well, you know, do you get into God or the Bible? And I stay forward. That's not invitational. This is you. Do you Get into God and the Bible, things like that at all? You know? And shut up. And when they say, well, sometimes. Oh, no. So yeah. What have you learned over the years? Where are you with all that? Just ask general questions. Because again, if you'll ask people questions, they'll start asking you questions. And that's what, what we're after, right? We're teaching people to disciple people. We're teaching them to be learners. And the question is the cutting edge of learning. And the cutting edge of good questions is speculation. That's science. I wonder if there's a better way to do this. I wonder why nobody's ever invented this. I wonder why, what causes that? where the scientific process comes from. It's just asking questions. 
we're going to teach people to ask questions, but the, the most important sermon is your life, that you're a learner. If somebody says, well, you know, I really don't believe in God. You know, I have a, my, the valedictorian of my senior class who, we, he's got Parkinson's disease, and I knew because I had had, he became an attorney, and we had had some legal stuff in Oklahoma, and I hired him to help me with a deal up there. We had discussed, he was a good Baptist boy, I was a bad Church of Christ boy, and, uh, you know, he, he had lost his faith with college, brilliant guy, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, but we were at this, uh, several of us were, were planning, he'd asked me to take the lead uh, in planning it because again, he had Parkinson's and he, he was already having trouble talking sometime. And I said, yeah, I'll do that, Mike. And one of the girls, all four of us in that meeting went to first grade through 12th grade together. We were, this a country school, so we were, brothers and sisters, you know, I haven't stayed in a lot of touch with them a little bit. Um, and one of them told me after, she said, Ronnie, did you pick up that Mike had lost his faith? And I said, well, not this time, but I always trust women's intuition. But I said, I think he told me he had kind of lost his faith a long time ago. So at the next meeting, I just asked him, I said, something we were talking, I said, Mike, where are you with faith and all that? And he just said something to the tune, I just can't believe in a God that lets, you know, all the pain and suffering and all this. Well, this is a guy sitting there that's brilliant with Parkinson's disease. You see a trap coming up here? <laughs> well, you know, those, you know. And, and of course, our good, our really good little Baptist girl, she was the most bold person to share her faith all through school. She piped up at me, well, I know, and then she's done. I'm looking at her, saying, hey, shut up. And she just kind of trailed off and shut up and then apologized to me later and said, I'll let you handle that. And I said, well, yeah, just, he doesn't need to hear that. Uh, I just said, Mike, I can understand why you don't believe in God. And especially now with what you're dealing with. So I said to him. And I told him after, I said, Mike, if you'd ever like to talk about that, I'd, I'd be glad to drive up and us visit because I kind of went through some of that stuff. I guess I just went the other direction from you and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. And he said, I'd like that. And I've been going to Oklahoma City as much as I can and having spiritual conversations with Mike. Um, Again, this guy is one of the most well-read humans ever. You know what I'm saying? This is not somebody that's not aware. But, you know, if that sermon doesn't change him, his Roman Catholic wife is just watching me come up there and spend time with him. And I finally told him one day, I said, Mike, the number one reason I'm coming up here is as an example to tell you that there is a God and he really does care about you. And he cares about all those things you care about. And that's why I'm up here. Maybe not a... See, those are what spiritual conversations. We're about 71 now, okay? But, you know, we've got that parable of the workers. He can still come to God in, at 4.30 in the afternoon. You know what I'm saying? And that's my prayer for him. But more than anything, 
it's a testimony to you guys to say this is who we are. This is what we do. The people that nobody else wants, we want. The lame, the maimed, and the blind. And he said, and compel them to come in. You know, you've got to be compelling with people. This is serious business. But if you don't spend your, your personal time grasping and, and letting your mind just wrap around the big picture, I know where you are, been there, done that. Everybody gets to be young, not everybody gets to be old. I don't feel badly about being old. I feel honored to be old. Now, some of the crappy stuff with it, I don't like. But there's crappy stuff in your age I didn't like either. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 you, hear it. you hear it all the time. It goes like, it does. It does. What everybody's been telling you, it does. You're going to turn around twice and you're going to wish things. I, was, I did a funeral for an 85-year-old friend of mine that I led to the Lord when he was in his upper 60s. Hugh Dugan. You know, some of you know the Dukins. They've been members of our church, and Scott's been a friend of mine now for 30 years, 28 to be exact, and I did Hugh's funeral. And Hugh had a lot of regrets because he didn't serve God when he was younger. You know, he did some really bad things in and out of his family. Um, but he came to God. I'm so thankful I came to God at 21. <laughs> I'm still married to the same woman that I was from the beginning. We've had four kids, and our kids are all Christians. We've got six grandbabies now, and they're in Christian families, and they go to really neat churches. And let's watch how our church is treating Kale and Jamie Ann. They've got little preemie twins down that weigh two pounds and two and a half pounds. And they're down in Houston. And how many people have donated money and helped you know, them? I raised my kids in a world where they're just loved by people. Mm -hmm. Lots of people. <laughs> I'm glad I did that. And I'm still friends with David and Nicola Dillo up in Durant. He's one of the first people that I led to God. He's my roommate and my co-worker at, at, in the lab at the Agricultural Research Service where we work. Um, I'm so thankful for that. I got to go back and do a funeral for Linda Young who was the lady that worked in the lab next to me after I became a Christian and she had, you know, gotten bitter against God and over a matter of about three and a half years I got to share with her, one being that she had lost her baby son mm -hmm. uh, and she just couldn't get over it and he would, he would have been two years younger than me. And I had lost my mom and we kind of had this special relationship that she was a mom figure to me and I was that son. To her and I got to go sit with her but I'm so glad she came to go you know she died in the Lord now I could share hundreds and hundreds of those stories from my own life but I could share hundreds of those everybody wants to come share with me their stories because they'll be excited and say you won't believe what happened to me you know I was out and I did this and somebody told me they you know wanted to come to God and I shocked it's like <laughs> You know, they get to experience it. Let me tell you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing in the world that's going to offer you or the people. The fraternities and sororities are going to be rushing these kids, and they're offering them shit mm -hmm. to eat. Mm -hmm. That's what they're offering. Shallow, impersonal friendships with a bunch of people that are just misguided, mm -hmm. thinking we're having fun. 
That's just BS. You know, it's, it's just crap. And, and everything that the world is so slavishly looking for, you guys can offer it if you just will. Genuine friendships that can be lifelong. People around that really care about people. We're not going to play games. And if somebody's being stupid, we're going to call it out. All of us. Starting with me, if I'm messing up, you call me out. Don't let me act that way. You know, we learn from each other. And that's how we have conversations, asking questions, making observations. You've got really good leaders here. They've spent a lot of time. So, you know, just along the way, you start a conversation. You've got to see these conversations as ongoing. I, I reached out to Linda Young literally for over, well, I didn't become a Christian off the bat, but over three years. And she would shut me down. She wouldn't study the Bible with me. So I carried a little Bible in my lab coat, and I would just share things I was learning with Linda. And she would talk to me. But she was very guarded. She was an introvert. And, um, and one day, she, I preached at church. It was the first time I preached on Sunday morning. And my roommate, who was also friends with her and worked with us, told her I was preaching. And I was preaching, I looked out there, and I lost my place because I looked at Linda Young was sitting in the auditorium. I knew that was big. <laughs> she hadn't been to church in decades. I was shocked. And I went in that week. She came the next week, by the way, when I wasn't preaching. And I was very careful. I didn't, I didn't do the rattlesnake. I didn't strike. I didn't just... Just no big deal. Glad you came. That was really neat. Great to see you there. But after that third week, I went to her lab. We would share each other's labs and do different kind of things that we needed. And these labs, we were part of the same bigger team. And I was in there and I said, Linda, it kind of comes down to one thing. Either there is a God or there isn't. And the Bible is his word or isn't. He's good or he's not. And I said, that's kind of how it is. And I'm just sitting there thinking, she's getting ready to be really mad at me because she would snap at me. And she just said in her quiet voice, she said, you're right. You know, I didn't know what to say. What do you say when somebody's right about what? What? Yeah. Just <laughs> let it sit, okay? Just let it sit. And then come back and say later, what did you mean by that? And she said, I want to become a Christian. Wow. You know, that's, that's what you learn. That's the good stuff. I played basketball. I've gotten to do a lot of really neat things in my life. Maui's about burned down. I've been to Maui three times. Uh, I've got, I was this poor country kid. Man, we had nothing. We were... We had nothing. <laughs> we were very poor. I've been to Maui three times. Wow. I have three leather recliners in my house right now. <laughs> you got People laugh at me saying that. You know, we used to have one albino recliner that my dad sat in, and it would crack and fall apart <laughs> every two years. Um, but now, insurance paid for those three, by the way. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> God will shock you. I have better friends than anybody. I'm the richest man alive, and I believe that. All four of my kids love God. They've all been through focus. They'll bleed focus. 
you don't know, Brandon is my son. I'm assuming you guys know who Brandon is. Mandy is a spiritual daughter. Um, that's what happens. Now, I'm in a very different place than most of you will ever be. I've got that. But let me tell you what. God will shock you with the delights he will give you. And, and I'll tell you, there's nothing that you will accomplish in college that can compare with me saying, while I was in college, I helped Linda Young come to Christ, which led her whole family to Christ. I got to do that. David Dillow, who was a doctor for 50 years in Durant, helped a lot of people. I got to lead my roommate to Christ. He's really a good man. If you come to Spring Hita and you hear the Broken Bow Cabin being auctioned off, that's David's cabin that uh, he's let us stay in and use. And so, okay, that's kind of what I got. It's just loving people, asking questions, don't jump on people. So, is there one pressing question? I had to laugh when he said, well, if there's time, I'll get an hour. You know me. <laughs> Talk all day long about this. Uh, anybody want to? Yes, sir. How do you reapproach people after you've had a spiritual conversation with them? Um, again, make an observation. So, you know, in that conversation, you said something. Could we revisit that? I'd like to hear more about that. Just an observation. That's just an example. But you just go back. Again, and talk to people. Don't pounce on them. One of the things I would tell you is asking permission to ask somebody to do something. You know, I met a guy at the wreck. His name is Cole. And, uh, and I sat and talked to him for a little bit and ended up having a little mini counseling session with him. He's your age. Um, goes to Colin in... Um, kind of goes to church some and you know but I said Cole would you be okay if I texted you sometime and asked you to something to try something once I asked permission and he said yeah I'll be fine with that and I said let me give you my number and I'll get yours and I said in fact I may have one of the other college kids text you which is, I had my other, my buddy Cole text him and invite him to focus. He hasn't come yet. Cyrus has been coming to focus. Um, but you ask permission, but with conversations, you even say, hey, I know we don't have time right now, but I would really like to talk to you one more time about that conversation. I've, I've thought about it a lot. And then find some angle to ask a question. So, you know, I can... I could do that all the way along with you, you know. So you got to focus there on, you know, what's focus? Are you in focus? I heard about focus. Have you been in it very long? You know, just what, you know? Keon, do you do your own hair? I really like that. I like that look. That's really, that's really special. Now you just don't be insincere. Love must be sincere, so don't BS people, but just look at, you know, what people have on, what they're doing, what they're, and ask some questions. People just, like I say, everybody is open. They're just not open to you. Mm -hmm.
and you've got to find your strategic position to be a light on a lampstand, to be a city on a hill. Now, open doesn't mean they're ready to come to God. It just means they're willing to talk and they're curious, but it's just not safe to talk to most people about religion and politics and now race and ethnicity and God knows everything that's we're not supposed to talk about ever again, but everybody knows I'm going to. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, okay, I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.